Well, good morning. Um, if you will, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 John, the book of 1 John. I want to begin by just, again, telling all of you, thank you so much. Um, my family and I truly have been blessed um, beyond measure by your prayers, by um, your gifts of generosity. Um, I was telling Albert a few days ago that if I could write a script for how this first uh, week and this transition would go, I couldn't have written anything better than what we've received. Um, so again, thank you all so much. And especially thank you for the sardines. Um, <laughs> you know, I know it's a small thing, but, uh, and the breath mints. Um, those, those two uh, go together very well. Thank you all so much. Well, um, we're starting a new series um, entitled Life Together. And I think that's kind of fitting because we're starting a new phase of life together as a church with me as your pastor. And I wanted to um, preach through a series to help us to understand how, what life together looks like. What do we want our life together to look like, CVPC? And so um, I thought there's no better book in the Bible that can do that for us as we look at life together. And so what I'm going to do over the next few months is take some themes, and I'm going to go expositionally, verse by verse. I'm going to go through the entire book and show us how there are all these themes in 1 John that help us to live life together well. And I don't know about you, but I want to live life together well. And I think this book will get us there. So I'm excited to communicate that to you. I'm excited to share um, what's in this book together. And the very first theme that we're going to look at is the theme of joy. And so I've entitled this first sermon as we look at life together, how can we not only have joy, but how can we weaponize joy? How can we use joy to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil? So that's what we're going to do this morning. And before we do that, let's read God's word and pray, and then we'll dive in. Hear now the word of God from 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and, with, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass will wither, and the flower will fade, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word by the good news of the gospel that will be preached to you this morning. Amen. And amen. Well, let's pray. Father, indeed, we as your people have gathered here together, excited to hear from you. Oh, my God, this is your word, and these are your people. 
please, I pray that you might take it and engraft it to their souls. They don't need my wisdom or my knowledge. They need your wisdom. They need the power of your spirit to help them to live holy, righteous lives before you. They need your word to heal their souls and provide encouragement and refreshment amidst the weariness of our world. And so I pray that they might receive that today, even in spite of the vessel that you've chosen to do it. And now, Lord, be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, as a Christian, it's kind of difficult to talk about the subject of joy, partly because you feel convicted, like, am I joyous enough? But the subject of, go- of joy is kind of touchy for us, right? Because so often we feel like the children of Israel in Psalm 137. You all remember that story? The children of Israel, they're being carried off into Babylonian captivity. And as they go on the road toward Babylon, uh, their captors and their tormentors say to them, Hey, why don't you play us a song from Zion? And they looked at them and they said, and this is my translation, Are you kidding me? You've taken us away from our land. You've taken away the ability for us to sing the song of Zion. And now you're asking us to be joyous? And you know, truth be known, I feel like sometimes we think we're like the children of Israel. And God is like the Babylonian captors. Like the tormentor. Who's saying to us, be joyous but yet he feels like he's taking away the very ability for us to be joyous because of all the sin and wickedness around us. And if truth be known, we know that God calls us to be joyous. We know that God calls us to live in a state of consistent and fervent joy, but yet so often it feels like God is the very one that's hindering our joy by allowing all of this pain and suffering around us. But beloved, I want to tell you today that God is not like the Babylonian captors. He's not like the Babylonian tormentors. And far from hindering your ability to joy, the very God that has called you to joy, the very God has told you, hey, be joyous, is the very God that has given you the ability to be joyous in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do to you this morning is to convince you that you and I can have joy in the midst of suffering. We can have joy in the midst of a world that just gives us wave after wave of pain. And not only can we have joy in the midst of suffering or pain, but I want to show you how you and I can weaponize joy for the sake of the kingdom, so we could continue to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so what I want to do is I want to show you, based on this passage from John, that joy is obtainable or attainable, that through Christ, joy is sustainable, and of course, through Christ, we can weaponize joy. First of all, Christ makes joy attainable. Notice with me in verse number 4. It says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Do you see those two words, so that? That indicates purpose. So in other words, all that John has written from verse 1 through 3 
is designed for the purpose of giving us joy. Now, if joy was unattainable, then why would John says, listen, it's possible for you to have joy based on what I have written. And what is it that John has written? Well, he's written about Christ. The first three verses is all about Christ, and we're going to talk about that a little bit as we go further. But I just want you to see that verse 1 through 3, as he talks about Christ and he presents Christ to us, he's saying, listen, I'm doing this so that you can have joy. And by the way, the people that John is writing to are people that were no strangers to suffering. They were being um, persecuted. They were being killed. False teachers were in their midst. I don't know if they had the coronavirus or market crashing, but one could assume that they were struggling with the same sorts of things. And yet John is saying to them, hey, you can have joy. Now, how is that possible? Now, I think for modern readers, we look at this and we have a hard time seeing how they were able to have joy because for us, for many of us, and even for our society, joy is synonymous with fun, is it not? When you think of joy, you think of fun. But this is a false equivalency. Joy doesn't equal fun. Um, there's a Croatian theologian by the, by the name of Miroslav Volf, and I love what he says because he really distinguishes the difference between joy and fun. And he says it's actually dangerous for us to equate the two. And here's what he says. He says fun or happiness is pleasure derived from external circumstances. Not only that, but fun is inherently selfish. Right? You and I have fun based on how things are going in our life. You and I are happy based on all the good things that are happening in our life. And Miroslav Volf says, listen, that's kind of selfish. It's kind of looking inward. And you and I only are happy when things in our life is going right. But here's what he said that I think is so awesome. He said, joy is different. Joy, as joy as opposed to fun, comes from an effective appreciation or inward satisfaction of something we consider good. In other words, Wolf says that joy has an intentional object. Think about that for a moment. That you and I have this settled inward peace based on some sort of external, intentional object. And in this, we see why John wrote about Christ at the very beginning. Because for us to have true joy, for us to have attainable joy, it must be found in the person and work of Christ. Christ makes joy attainable because he is our ultimate reference point for joy. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says, that he calls us to look unto Jesus who? The author and finisher of our faith. Why? Because he is the source of all joy. But not only that, it's clear from this passage that it's only through union and communion with Christ are we able to have the kind of joy that John is calling us to, this joy that surpasses all level of understanding. <laughs> I've actually seen this work out practically. There's a couple... Um, 
in, uh, at the church that we were at in Pensacola. And the lady has bone cancer. And in fact, by all accounts, she's not going to make it past a year. If that wasn't tragic enough, her husband has um, epilepsy. And he can't work or drive or provide for his family. And if that wasn't bad enough, they have six children, all of the age of 13 down. And I remember as I went into their room, you know, right, right before you go in, uh, I went into their hospital room to visit because she had, uh, had to go in and the bone cancer was spreading. And right before I walked in, I had to compose myself because I, was, I started to get choked up. I'm like, Lord, this, this family loves you and serve you. Why are you doing this to them? You know those kind of inward conversations you tend to have with God? And, and here's the thing. So often as a pastor, you go in to minister to people, and what ends up happening? They minister to you. So I walk in the door thinking, okay, I'm spiritual Superman. I'm going to lift their spirits up a notch. But man, when I walked in, you know what I saw? I saw two people with smiles on their face, and they welcomed me in. They said, Pastor Dennis, it's so good to see you. And as I began to talk to them, I began to realize where the source of their joy was coming from. They said, hey, you know what, Pastor Dennis, I really believe, she was telling me this, I really believe that God gave me this cancer so I can minister to my unbelieving uh, brothers and sisters. I really believe that God gave me this cancer because um, now we can talk about our kids, uh, about suffering. And I believe that Jesus gave me this cancer so he could help us to understand how sweet and wonderful he is. Everything they talked about, the reference point was Christ. And here I was thinking to myself, man, they're, they're going to be down in the dumps. And I have to come in and like, you know, give them a spiritual uh, boost. But they were giving me a spiritual boost. Why? Because their focus was not on the circumstances. Their focus was on Christ. And for them, joy was attainable because they weren't looking at their circumstances to make them happy. They were looking at what Christ had done for them in order for them to have joy. And beloved, this is what makes joy attainable. When we recognize that joy ultimately is found in the person and work of Christ and nothing else. You know, even in John's day, the Gnostics taught that, listen, joy wasn't for everybody. You know, Gnosticism kind of taught that, you know, the... the the physical was bad and only the spiritual was good and you had to attain to this spiritual, higher spiritual knowledge. And so even the concept of joy only belonged to a select few. But that's nonsense. Pardon my French. Right? Joy isn't for a select few. Joy isn't for the super spiritual. It's not just for the educated. It's also for the uneducated. Joy is for the rich and poor. Joy is for the one inside here today that's struggling spiritually, the one that's depressed, that one that's holding on by what Jonathan Edwards called a spider's web dangling over hell. Joy is for all of us. 
And I think sometimes we think that if we're not in the right place, we can't ask God for joy, but that is nonsense. Joy is attainable because joy comes through Christ, through union and communion with him. But it's only through Christ. Now we look at unbelievers and we say, well, they certainly look joyous. Well, they're having fun. They're happy. But remember, happiness and fun, they're temporal. And they are predicated only on external circumstances. Joy is different. The kind of joy that John is calling us to is the kind of joy that finds its expression in Christ. And unless you are in Christ, you might be here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. I'm here to tell you today, you can have joy. You can have fun. You can be happy. But that's going to be temporal. The kind of joy that John is calling us to is the kind of joy that can only be found in the person and work of Christ. Now, some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Dennis, yes, I can have it, but is it sustainable? Absolutely it is. Notice with me again in the passage, verse 1 and 2. John begins with this high Christology where he talks about the nature of the hypostatic union. Now, that's just a big word to mean that Christ was 100% God and 100% man. And at the very beginning, he says this, that which was from the beginning, that's, that language is meant to communicate that this is the second person of the Trinity we're talking about. We're talking about the Savior. And if you lived in John's time and he's writing these things to you, all sorts of bells are going off. What? He was from the beginning? We touched him? We saw him? You all touched him and saw him? He was made manifest? All of those things are meant to remind them that we're talking about the Messiah, the one who had come. He's the one that was spoken of in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. He was the one in John 1 who was the word made flesh from the very beginning. And so all of these things, they're looking at this and they're saying, well, Messiah has come. Now think with me for a moment. Think about the joy that came as a result of the Messiah being born. You know, everybody was writing songs. Mary wrote a song. Zachariah wrote a song, right? When they went to the temple, everybody started writing songs. The angels began to sing. The shepherds began to sing. Why was everybody so excited and joyous over the birth of the Messiah? Because the Messiah had come. Now, <clears throat> why is the fact that the Messiah came means that our joy can be sustainable? That's the question. Should I answer it? Some of you are looking at me like, yes, please answer. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Think with me a little bit about what steals our joy. Think, think with me about what steals our joy. Nothing steals our joy more than the thought of death. I'm talking about what's fundamental to man. You know, um, some of us have fears, legitimate fears. Like, some of you fear 
um, spiders. Some of you fear heights. Um, I, I have this fear, and it's, it's really irrational. Um, I don't know if I should share it. Um, all right, you, know, you, get to, you need to get to know me. Um, so I have this fear that, when I, uh, that one day I'll walk around a building, and there's going to be a big lion there. And he's going to be hungry. And I'm going to be on the menu, right? Now, now, all of you are looking at me and say, man, we, I wish I had known this before he candidated here. Um, but, but all that aside, it's too late. Um, yeah, it is too late. Uh, but but all, that, all that aside, you all would say, Dennis, that's an irrational fear. That, that probably will never happen to you. But, but, but you know what's a fear that all of us have? The fear of death and hell. That's a real fear. I don't care who you are, whether you're a Christian or an atheist, young, old, wherever you are in that spectrum, death is the great equalizing fear. And that's not an irrational fear. That's a, that's a real fear. One day, all of us, if the Lord tarries his coming, will die. And death fears man. Why? I mean, man fears death. Why? Because it's the one thing we can't control. Yes, even with euthanasia. Right? It's the one thing that will happen and we can't stop it from happening. It's the one thing that everyone in the world, at some point in their life, will have to wrestle with this whole concept of fear. And even the atheists who deny Christianity... They don't have a good answer for death because it's so final. And so when John comes here and he starts talking to us about Christ, that he was from the beginning, that he took on flesh, and that he was made manifest, and he was uh, proclaimed to the world and manifested to the world, what is, what is John doing here? He's telling us that the Messiah came. And now we can have sustained joy because the Messiah came to deal with the very thing all of us fear, death and hell. Do you see that? He came. He took on our nature. He suffered our punishment. He died our death. He gave us his righteousness so that all of us can have joy and newness of life. You don't have to fear death anymore, Paul says. Because it's been swallowed up in victory. The victory that was uh, gotten on the cross. That's real sustained joy. So every single time you and I feel the weight of death and worry about the unknown, we could say, death, where is your sting? It's all been taken away because the Messiah has come. Man, that should give us a rejoicing and a passion like none other. We should be dancing in the streets. I don't know if it's the whip or nene, but whatever it is. Whatever it is. We need to be excited about this one principle that the Messiah came, and therefore you and I, we can have sustained joy. Sustained joy. Man, I could end the sermon there. But there's a third point. 
Christ enables us to weaponize joy. Now, now here's where the rubber reads the road. So if you're falling asleep before, wake up now. Because this is what's going to enable you to go out into the world, to go into your homes, to go into your uh, schools, and live this fullness of joy out wherever we go. Notice how Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, dwells in us, enables us to weaponize this joy. There are three things. First of all, notice in verse number two. He says this, after he talks about that which was from the beginning, and he talks about all the things that, that Christ has said and heard and that they have experienced, he said that we have testified to. Notice verse number two, he says, the life was made manifest, talking about Christ, that which gives life. And we have seen it, and we testify to it. So what's the first way we weaponize joy? By testifying to it. The word there for testify is the Greek word martyreo. It's where we get our word martyr. You know, when we think of a martyr, we think of somebody who died for their faith, right? But that's not what John is talking about there. He's talking about bearing witness to your faith. That's how we weaponize joy. You know, um, one of the things that I've been so blessed by ever since I came to CVBC is hearing your stories. Hearing about what God has done in your life. How God has delivered you from sin. How God has worked in your life to be a blessing to others. How God has worked in your marriage over the course of many years. How God has blessed you with children. How God has given you um, this, this radical joy even amidst your suffering. Every time I hear about that, I get excited. Why? Because I'm hearing about what God is doing in your life. Beloved, testify to one another. Tell each other about what God is doing in your life because that strengthens one another. I, I derive so much strength and joy from just hearing what God is doing in your life. Now, try not to humble brag, right? But at the same time, pull another brother or sister aside and tell them what God has done for you. That is a strengthening mechanism. That's how we weaponize joy. Don't hide what God is doing in your life to yourself. And even... You can ask an unbeliever their story about what God is doing for them. Why? Because whether they realize it or not, God is providentially working in their lives. Pull one of your co-workers or one of the people in your, in your school aside, even if they're not a Christian, and say, hey, what's your story? How are things going? Because even when they testify, they're not going to give glory to God because they don't know him, but by goodness... God has been working providentially in their lives. And you need to know about that. Because you need to see that even though they're not a believer, God sends rain on the just and the unjust. Not only that, but notice what he says. Not only should we testify, but in verse number 2 and 3, he says that it's something that we should proclaim. We should be proclaiming Christ. We should be telling others about Christ. Why? Because we're filled with the joy of the Lord. <clears throat> I remember when um, we went to the Bahamas um, to visit my brother, and, and we were sitting around and we were talking to my niece, 
And we just offhandedly said, hey, you know, we, we really like Chick-fil-A. And she said, um, what? What is Chick-fil-A? We were like, what? You have never heard about Chick-fil-A? And for the next 30 minutes, we gave her the rundown, the waffle fries, the chicken. We even sang the song. And, and when I thought about that whole experience, everyone in my family was just proclaiming the goodness of Chick-fil-A. Why? Because it had so impacted our lives. There were so many good things that happened to us at Chick-fil-A. There were so many wonderful experiences surrounding that that it was, it was like nothing for us to talk about it. How much more should we be with Christ? Has he not done good things for you? Has he not blessed you? Has he not worked mightily in your life? Then why do we feel so embarrassed to share him? Hey, listen, I'm not, I'm not guilting you into anything. Don't. This isn't a guilt trip. All I'm saying is this. Every one of us inside here today, there is something that we get excited about. There is something that we don't need prompts to talk about. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be the President of the United States. Or it could be the dog walking on the side of the road. We're going to tell them about it because it has so impacted our life. Well, beloved, if Christ has so impacted your life, proclaim him. Don't be ashamed of him. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. There is nothing in this world that's going to save people other than proclaiming Christ. So we should be proclaiming him, not out of duty, by the way. I'm not talking about duty. I'm talking about out of love, out of absolute love. Lastly, because I know some of you are looking at your watch. Is he going to be up there all day? No. I'm going to end here. Notice with me fellowship. Verse number three. <sighs> he says we proclaim him. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship is powerful, amen? It really is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, says this, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. You know, just you being here today with one another is a source of joy and strength. Just being with one another, imagine that. That's why when one of you isn't here, the other person should be like, wait, wait, where's so-and-so? I miss seeing them, sm their smiling faces. Or their frowning faces, however that works out. But, um, but I just miss them, you know? Yeah, I sit opposite them, but I still miss them. They're my brother and sister in Christ, so you want to know where they are. Because you are strengthened by just being in their presence. But you know what? There's another fellowship that's even stronger than that, and that's our fellowship with Christ. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 said this, for the joy said before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. You think about that statement for a moment. Was the cross fun for Jesus? No. No. The cross, by far, was the most physically, emotionally, spiritually, every otherly, um, 
damaging thing to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's nothing about the cross that was fun. But do you know why the cross brought Jesus joy? Because through the cross, we had fellowship with God. It is through the process of the cross you and I were reconciled to Christ. That's what made the cross joy. Listen, as we live life together, it's going to get messy. We're going to get on each other's nerves. I'm going to say something to upset you. People are going to start coming in that never came in before. Some people may leave that were once here. I mean, things are going to get crazy. But you know why we can endure that? Because our number one focus should be bringing people into fellowship with Christ and fellowshipping with one another. Christ endured the messiness and awfulness of the cross because he wanted, as his goal, to bring people into fellowship with Christ. That was his joy. So it is with us. You know, it's amazing what you can endure if your focus isn't on you. You know, the music uh, might be off, not to your liking. So what? You know, we don't do things just the way you like it. So what? Why? Because our ultimate focus isn't on us. It's on bringing people to Christ so that we can have fellowship with each other and him. That's our joy. And if that's our joy, we'll be able to endure all the little things that are just not to our liking. Because we have a greater joy, and it's not ourselves, but it's in Christ. Father, we thank you so much that our joy is not in ourselves. We thank you that we can experience fullness of joy because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. God, Today is the day that you have made, and we, your people, rejoice, and we are glad in it. And so I pray that as we go through these series, this sermon series, Lord, that you might speak to us and convict our hearts, but at the same time, help us to see that we don't have to work hard for this joy. This joy is given to us by the fruit of the Spirit, through the power of the Spirit. We just need to be obedient and yield to the Spirit's will. And Lord, I pray for the one that's in here that's just chasing fun. <clears throat> Help them to lay that aside and receive the fullness of joy that comes with being in union and communion with the Savior. And we ask this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen.